Ed Sheeran will be playing before a big audience. He's playing at the Optus Showground in Perth. I know some people in Kununurra have flown down just to see uh, Ed Sheeran in concert. And it will be a big audience, a record audience, 75,000 people. Uh, but not as big as Melbourne, though. At Ed Sheeran's shows in Melbourne at the MCG on the 2nd of March, he broke the record for the most people attending a paid concert at the MCG. And then on the 3rd of March, he broke his own record, selling 109,500 tickets. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of screaming fans. Ed Sheeran is playing for a huge audience. Well, it was Shakespeare that said, all the world's a stage and all the men and women are merely players and have their exits and entrances. Shakespeare is kind of getting at the point that we're, we're all kind of living for an audience. Uh, we all have our own stage. In a way, we're all little mini Ed Sheerans, just doing life before others. Well, the question we're going to think about today is this. Who is our audience? Which audience are we trying to please with our life? Who do we choreograph our life for? Is it the audience of many or the audience of one? Now, these last few weeks, we've been listening to Jesus as he teaches in the temple. And Jesus has pointing people to recognize who he is, his significance, his authority, his lordship. And in this next episode of Jesus' teaching in the temple, Jesus challenges his disciples to think very seriously about who they are living for and which audience they are seeking to please. And so what we have here, and what we just read out, is two snapshots. It'd be good to have your Bibles open at Luke chapter 20, verse 45. And in the first snapshot, we see a group of religious leaders living for the audience of many. And in the second snapshot, we see a poor widow living for the audience of one. And so we come back to our question for today. Are we living for the audience of many or the audience of one? Well, let's first look at this group of religious leaders living for an audience of many. Jesus' teaching begins with a warning in verse 46. Beware of the teachers of the law. The teachers of the law in their time were respected. They were the spiritual leaders. They knew the Old Testament better than anyone else. And no one, no one, would have expected for Jesus to denounce them. And yet Jesus says, beware. I like a beware sign on a power station. Keep out or get fried. Well, Jesus here gives a warning, a warning to take heed of. Beware of the teachers of the law. They are dangerous. And Jesus gives us six reasons why they are so dangerous. And most of the reasons are not what you would expect. Four of the reasons are in verse 46. And in reasons 1 and 2, the teachers of the law are dangerous when they walk because they like to be recognized. So reason number one, beware, they like to walk around in flowing robes. They like the attention their long flowy robes give. The kids pointing, look, there's a teacher of the law. 
the recognition as people acknowledge their presence. And then reason number two, beware, because they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. They love people recognising their authority and their position in society. Just like a celebrity who loves attention, so the teachers of the law. They choreograph their walk for maximum effect, maximum recognition. Jesus says, beware. And then in reasons three and four, the teachers of the law are dangerous when they sit because they like honour. So reason number three, beware because they love the most important seats in the synagogues, the seats of honour up the front. In God's house, the teachers of the law thought that they were the most important, the most holy, the closest to God. In Africa, I had the experience of being asked to sit up the front of the church facing everyone else. It was really bizarre and I felt a bit uncomfortable and weird. Uh, But they were just honouring us as their guests. But the teachers of the law, they would have loved that. They would have expected it. They would have walked into the room and gone, oh, that seat up the front, that must be for me. They wanted the most honour in God's house. But reason number four to beware, because they love the places of honour at banquets, in the social setting. They want that seat next to the host. Uh, Because in ancient times, the seat next to the host was the the most honoured seat. It says that you were the most important guest. And they thrived on that knowledge that people were looking at them and going, oh, they are the most important guest. Do you see a theme here in verse 46 of recognition and honour? They're living for the audience of many. They're a bit like Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran's show will be tailored tonight to the audience. His looks, his makeup, the stage effects, his moves will be choreographed to perfection with the aim of impressing the audience. And that's kind of right. It's a show. You expect that. But that's what the religious leaders are doing. They're making, they're choreographing their life so they get the most honour, the most recognition. They're seeking to please the audience of many, not the audience of the one who matters, God in heaven. And we particularly see this with the last two reasons, where we see their talk reveals their hearts. Reason number five, beware, they devour widows' houses. How they were devouring widows' houses, we're not exactly sure. But they're teachers of the law. It's most likely through their words, through their teaching whether it was by uh, forcing widows into loans they couldn't repay, getting them to overcommit in their giving and then demanding that they pay it. Whatever the practice was, it doesn't matter so much. But the fact is, is that these religious leaders are not protecting the widow. They're not loving the widow, but they're devouring her. The word devour kind of brings up the image in my mind of like a wolf just devouring something like a child or an animal. You know, fairy tales, there's lots of wolves devouring of children. That is the teachers of the law. And Jesus says, beware. 
They don't care for what God cares for. And then we see in reason number six, the last reason to be aware of the talk of these leaders is that they make a show with their lengthy prayers. They pray with empty talk. Instead of praying to God, depending on God, they're praying for the benefit of the people listening. So the people can say, wow, you're so great. Your prayer was so fine and eloquent. Oh, if only I could pray like you. They want people to think that they are more superior in their holiness than anyone else. Jesus says, beware. Because like a power station is dangerous, these people, these hypocrites who live their lives for the audience of many, are also dangerous. They have a hollow religion. They're like a packet of chips. You know when you get a packet of chips and you look at it and you just you hope that it's going to be full of chips and then you open it and it never is? It's always just full of air? Well, that's these teachers of the law. They're just empty, full of hot air. And so Jesus says, beware when they walk, beware when they sit, beware when they talk. Because they care more about the affirmation of people than God. And their identity and their hope and their joy comes not from the God who saved them, but from the recognition of people. And Jesus says in verse 47, these men will be punished severely. See, God looks at the heart. He knows what is on the inside. He knows if we're living our lives to honour God or not. He knows if we're just hot air. Now, why is it so dangerous? Why do they need to be aware Why is Jesus so strong in his warning? It's because, well, these are the leaders of God's people. They hold in their hands not the things of this world, but the things of God. They are the people teaching the ways of God, how to live for God, of what's important to God. They're the gatekeepers for teaching God's word. Yet because they care more about what people think than what God thinks, the audience of many rather than the audience of one. They misrepresent God. And they don't care about what God cares about. And so they lead people astray. People who look at them and follow their teaching are going to think that what is most important to God is the best clothes, is the best seats, the most honour, the side schemes that devour the poor, the lengthy, wordy prayers that lack integrity. They're teaching people that outward living is more important than an inward heart, which ultimately leads to judgment, not life. And this happens because they are living for the audience of many. They're not seeking praise from God, but they're seeking praise from people. No wonder Jesus says, beware. Hypocrisy in a leader who claims to be God's worker is dangerous. A leader who loves honour from people more than humility before God. A leader who walks the talk but doesn't walk the walk is a huge problem. Because what happens when a leader is seeking people's approval and not God? Well, as soon as trouble comes along, as soon as the costly nature of discipleship to Jesus springs its murky head, well, they'll be out of there. 
They won't stand and make the tough decisions that go against the flow of culture because, well, that would make them unpopular. They won't deal with the issues that spring up in church because they won't want people to be put offside. But more importantly, they're not going to lead you to holiness. They're not going to lead you to see that Jesus is Lord, to honour him. Because instead of teaching you to honour Jesus, they're going to be saying, honour me. And they will devour you. They will devour the vulnerable. So beware. And if you're in a position of leadership, it's why leaders are called to watch their life and doctrine closely. So we don't end up like the religious leaders. But the snapshot also gives a bit of a warning for us, doesn't it, as well, who are not in leadership. That when we walk, and when we, that we don't do it for recognition, and when we sit, that we don't do it for honour, and that when we talk, we don't do it for show. It might be helpful to think about that the religious leaders kind of living their lives on social media. They're doing it for the likes. They just want people to click that button. And we can live like that as well. Doing our quiet times for the audience of many. I don't know if you've seen the type of post on Facebook where someone takes a photo of a great sunset or a picture of their coffee and says, great quiet time this morning. And then it's not hard to imagine someone coming back to that post and going, well, I wonder how many people have liked it. I wonder how many people have shared it. Did they do that quiet time for the audience of God or did they do that quiet time for the audience of many? We can live like that. We can pray at church or Bible study and use words we wouldn't normally use and pray for a length of time we wouldn't normally pray for with the hopes of getting the likes of the people listening. We can serve with the the hope of being honoured and recognised, of getting the likes of the people around us. We we seek out the thank you or the, the words of admiration. Now, it doesn't mean that it's wrong to encourage one another or say thank you. It's rather a comment on our own hearts of what's our motive as we seek to serve the Lord. Are we doing it for God or are we doing it for people? And so we have this first snapshot. Jesus warns the disciples about the teachers of the law who are living for an audience of many. In the second snapshot, Jesus draws attention to a poor widow who is living for the audience of one. The poor widow in chapter 21 provides a different picture. Luke has deliberately organised this book so that the poor widow provides a contrast, like when you put orange next to blue. And this account of the poor widow is a snapshot of someone who cares more about what God thinks than what people think. So let's have a look. We're in chapter 21 now as you're following along in your Bible. And Jesus looks up and he observes the rich people putting their gifts into the temple treasury. This is their offertory. This is the money that they've kept aside to give to the work of God. It's the equivalent to our online giving or putting money in the, uh, the box there in the middle. The rich are those 
who are well off, like many of us, who don't need to worry about being able to afford our next meal, who can afford to spend money on extra things. And amongst these rich people, in verse 2, Jesus sees a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Are these copper coins in Greek are called a lepton and they're about one one-hundredth of a day's wage. We're talking about a couple of bucks, a loaf of bread, two litres of milk. It's not very much. And in verse 3, Jesus comments on this. He says, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. Now Jesus is not making a comment on the actual amount the widow has placed in the tithe because actually it was probably the smallest contribution financially. But he's commenting on her heart. Verse 4, all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. The poor widow has given all that she had to live on. What a level of trust and dependence on God. She could have given only one coin, but she gave two. This widow is not living for the audience of many, but the audience of one, the audience of the one that matters, the audience of God. And this widow is recognised and commended by Jesus. See, how much better to be commended by Jesus, the Lord of all eternity, than to be commended by another person? How much better to be commended by Jesus, the Lord of all eternity, than to be commended by another person. So the poor widow, she trusted God. She faithfully and sacrificially gave to God all that she had and Jesus puts her on the pedestal. She is the one we ought to honour. She is the one we ought to imitate. She is not judged, but before all of the disciples, before all of the crowd listening, before the teachers of the law who would have been listening as well, Jesus lifts up this poor widow and honours her, commends her. So how can we make sure that we care more about being commended by Jesus than the recognition and honour of people? How do we live for the audience of the one who matters. Well, we need to firstly know the one who matters. We need to know, as we've been looking at these last few weeks, the significance and the authority and the lordship of Jesus. And like the poor widow, we need to come humbly before God. And for us, that means coming humbly before Jesus. and recognising that he is king, that he is Lord. And as we come to him, Jesus knows how easy it is for us to desire the approval of an audience of many instead of an audience with him. But Jesus himself, 
He only ever lived for an audience of one. His actions were never motivated by the approval of people, but only of God. What Jesus said, what Jesus did, he did because he was wanting to glorify his Father in heaven, not get the approval of people. Think what would have happened if Jesus was living for the audience of many instead of seeking to glorify God. If Jesus was seeking the approval of people, Jesus would have listened to his mom and brothers when they were telling him, give up on this crazy mission that you're on about and come home. He would have listened and gone with them. If Jesus was listening to the many, he would have stayed in one town only, healing the sick, instead of going throughout all Judea, proclaiming the good news that God's kingdom has come. If Jesus was seeking the approval of people, he never would have said anything negative about the hypocritical leaders. He never would have talked about hell or judgment. If Jesus was living for the many, he would have given up on his plans to die on a cross. When Peter rebuked him, he would have gone, okay, let's not do that. When Jesus was on the cross, if he had been living for many, when the people mocked him and said, if you are the Messiah, come down, Jesus would have gone, oh, okay. I like this loony cartoon which says, last chance, Jesus, be a nice chap and consent to Christianity, pleasant, sensible, polite Christianity, and we might release you from detention. And you've got Jesus down the bottom there saying, never. Because Jesus wasn't living for the many. He was living for the glory of God. He lived for the audience of the one that matters. And like the widow, he gave everything he had. He gave his life for us, for our sin, so that we could come to him and live with him as our Lord and follow him as our example. And so the first step to living a life for the audience of one, is by coming to Jesus and knowing that he died on the cross to forgive our sin. And we do need to actually acknowledge that we are sinful before him and likely a part of us does want the approval of people. There's a teacher of the law inside of us who desperately longs for the comment of approval, the nod of well done, the recognition of a life to live well, but instead of seeking it from God, we seek it from people. I know this is true of myself. When uh, I was first asked to read the Bible in church, I had two motivations. One, I wanted to serve the Lord. I was, I was eager. I was keen. I wanted to I would do anything. But then there was also, well, reading the Bible was an up-the-front thing. And afterwards, people encouraged me and said how well I'd read the Bible. And I had both of those motivations going on in my head as I read the Bible in church. It's often for us in our sinful nature, it's, there's often can be a desire to want to glorify God but also want to seek the approval of people. Well, we need to come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. Ask for him to forgive the times that we've done things for the approval of people and not for the glory of God. And, and this sin can even pop up when we're serving in a way where no one notices. 
you know, it's often easier to live for God instead of a, an audience of people when no one else can see you. But even then, you can still be doing it for an audience. You can, if you start to feel a bitterness come through when you're serving and you're thinking, well, no one notices, no one appreciates what I do. If I stop doing it, would anyone care? If you've got those thoughts, are you serving for the audience of one or are you serving for the audience of many? Who are you living for? The good news is when we come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness of sin, he does forgive us. Praise God. And when we place our trust in Jesus, we're actually making a commitment. We are saying that we are going to live for the audience of one, that we're going to live under his kingship, that we're going to live our lives to bring glory to God. Uh, There's a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. It says, Whether you eat or drink, Or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That is the commitment that we make when we come to Jesus and recognize that he is king. That is all of our life living in a way that seeks to bring honor and glory to Jesus instead of bring honour and glory to ourselves. Living in such a way where we're living for God's commendation, not people's. And so we need to seek to live for the audience of one. And Jesus actually gives us his Holy Spirit to help us do this. The Holy Spirit that God gives us renews our minds and convicts us of our sin and produces in us a desire to want to glorify God and him alone. So without the work of the Holy Spirit, we're not going to become like the poor widow. And so we need to ask God to help us to live for him. And as we live for him, as we live for the audience of one, that'll help us to live for Jesus with joy. Serving won't be a burden, but something we do for the glory of Jesus. It'll help us to be able to give cheerfully like the widow, It'll help us when we have to make tough calls in life for Jesus to do so without wavering. It'll help us in our life not to walk for the acknowledgement and recognition of people, not to sit with the desire of honour and respect and not to talk in a way that undermines God's people and is full of emptiness. And it'll help us ultimately to be people who want to give our lives just like Jesus gave his life for us so that Jesus is honoured and glorified. Uh, At the Ed Sheeran concert, uh, which I don't have the privilege of attending, uh, the last song that he's going to sing is You Need Me, I Don't Need You. And as he sings that song, he kind of does need the audience, otherwise he'd be out of a job. But it's a song about authenticity, It's a song about him being a singer and being true to himself and that no matter what other musicians say or what the crowd thinks, that he's going to sing his songs. So he sings this desire not to need the audience of many. Well, we don't exactly want to sing Ed Sheeran's song. We don't just want to be true to ourselves because ourselves are sinful but we do want to be true to Jesus, our Lord who gave his life for us 
We do in everything want to give him glory. We do want to find our identity, not in the audience of people who might be watching us, but the audience of God, who will either judge us or commend us. So let's pray using the words of this next song, that we will have undivided hearts, living not for the many, but for the one that matters, Jesus our Lord. We're going to stand and sing undivided.